Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 17. Last week, we found that Jesus was the bread of life. He was the bread that came down from heaven. And it's a picture type of how God supplied what the children of Israel needed every day. And we need Jesus every day as well. Well, today we're going to see that Jesus is also the water. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that uh, we find these picture types that Jesus said, search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. And so really, looking at the Old Testament reveals to us who God is, who we are, our dependency upon him. And so let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would give us wisdom and insight. Lord, that you would inspire these words, that this wouldn't just be ink on paper, but God, that it becomes alive in our hearts. And Lord, that you would cause it to become part of us. And we would not forget these things. So now anoint these words by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Very quickly, um, youth group's doing some neat things. Want to encourage uh, anybody you know that uh, in the high school era age group, go there. They study the Bible. They have different games. They do different things on Sunday morning. And then throughout the week, they want to start doing things. And so I just want to encourage everybody that's got that um, that uh, teen world, uh, there's a place for them. I think you'll enjoy that. Well, as we look at this in Exodus 17, the children of Israel have just come out of slavery over 400 years serving the Egyptians. Now they are divinely protected by God. The pillar of fire by night, the cloud of smoke by day, sheltering them for the hot desert heat, giving them warmth at night in the desert. And they see the daily manifestation of God in their lives. Now, friends, it's not only the children of Israel that saw this, but we remember Pharaoh's army saw it too. And that's what prevented the armies of Egypt from chasing Israel until God had made sure that Israel was all the way through the Red Sea. The cloud was lifted. Pharaoh's army went on through the Red Sea And then that's when Moses held his staff out over the water and over the dry land and the water came and covered the Egyptian army. It's funny how people fail to interpret the data at hand. I'm always amazed by this. Here you find some divine things going on. The world sees it, but the world can interpret it. I think this is a little bit what's going on right now in our world today. I think everybody realizes there's a paradigm change coming to the United States of America. Some people believe it will be within the next three years, America will not exist as you know it. I don't think that's hard to understand. Again, when you look at the amount of debt we're in, when you look at some of the decisions that we see are being made, the forced things that are being placed upon the American people that really aren't what our Constitution guaranteed us. And so now we're kind of in a different world. Well, the Bible tells us that there is a one world order that's coming. And the Bible tells us also it's going to be manned by a person called the Antichrist. I believe the world's being set up for this. I think the world sees elements of it, 
but they don't understand what's going on. But you as a Christian, knowing God's word, you're able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. You can see the pillar of fire. You can see the pillar of smoke. You understand these things. The world sees the effect of the smoke. They see the effect of the fire, but they don't know what's going on. Jesus said, henceforth, I'll no longer call you servants, but friends, because a servant does not know what his master is doing. It's God's good pleasure to let you know what he's about to do. Now, the reason why that is, is because God operates in the future as much as he does right now or in the past. That's why the Bible says that we're seated in heavenly places with him, that we're predestined. Not in that God predestined you and me, it's that God knows who makes it and ultimately who doesn't. Just because God knows the decisions that I will make in my life doesn't mean that I did not have the freedom to make those decisions. But God does not learn. God knows all things. I'm so glad. That tells me this, that when I accepted Christ as my Savior, and all the dumb things I would do in my life, even before I was a Christian or during a Christian, God did not say, oh, no, you kind of mess up too much. You're not part of my team. No, God even chose me part of his team, you part of his team, knowing we would drop the ball in the end zone in the last few seconds of the game. He still says, you're one of my, I like that. You look at all the things going on, and you look how we're so geared, if you will, towards the sports era. And I oftentimes think about this, that, you know, you watch the reruns of the game in the news during the sports You know, the game's already over, but they show you the last few seconds of the game and the guy throws the ball and and he strikes him out in the the very ninth inning and the score is seven to eight. And are they going to come back? I watched the game last night. Are they going to come back or not? And and, and it isn't that, that, oh, that evil cameraman, if he hadn't have videotaped it, maybe they could have won. Is it the cameraman's fault that they didn't, the Mets didn't win last night? No. All he was doing is recording what was going on. God already knows and holds the videotape on all of our lives. Isn't that important to know that? And God still chose you and me to be on his team? Wow. You know, friends, you stop to think about that for a minute. Remember back in school, I don't know how many people ever had this terrible, unfortunate thing happening, but during P.E., you know, there was always the the jock that could do everything good. And he was the team captain. And then you had the other guy, and he was the other team captain. And then you would line up, and then the team captains would all take Tom. Well, I'll take Bill. Well, then I'll take Sam. Well, I'll take you know, and they would do this all the way down until there was like two of you standing there that no one wanted. No, you take him. No, you take him. No, you take him. We watched him play before. No, you take him. And you kind of end up getting sloughed off on one of these team things. And, you know, everybody there is kind of looking at you like, you don't throw the ball to him. He can't catch it. And, and I find that a lot of time is the way that it is. And God, knowing that we won't always catch it, still loves us enough to say, 
I want you part of my team. I like that about God. God loves losers and he loves winners. He loves those that are successful and he loves those that have failed. And I have found that sometimes in my failures caused me to be more dependent upon him than really upon those things that I think I can do well. And so as we come into the story today, we find the congregation of Israel murmuring again. And they're murmuring in the valley, this place of Zin, which actually translated in our Bibles, sin. I think there was a lot of sinning going on there. That's probably why they called it that. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rathalem, but there was no water for the people to drink. By the way, that is a real problem. You run out of water, you run out of life. Jesus told us that um, out of your belly shall come rivers of living water. You know, if the water dries up in your spiritual experience, it ain't very long before you don't do much for God anymore. We have to go back to the source where the water comes from. Therefore, the people uh, contended with Moses, saying, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Why would he say this? I mean, they're out of water. you got to remember, everything is done with the pillar of cloud and the fire by night. It was obvious that they could see the hand of God hourly in their life, but yet when it came to their personal needs, their faith would fail. Sound like us a little bit? Think of God's faithfulness to you over the years. If you're a Christian here today, now if you're not a Christian, my heart goes out to you because there's really no one taking care of you. Only the advice of your friends the words and the song on popular radio. You really don't have anybody giving and putting into your life the things you need. But if you're a Christian, God puts into your life and gives us and protects us. We see those protections in our life, but yet we're faced sometimes with day-to-day challenges. And we go, where are you, God? And God says, I'm right here where I've always been. Haven't you seen my hand of provision through your life? Yeah, Why do you think I would leave here right now? I like that about God. He says, why do you contend with me? And why do you tempt the Lord? The people thirsted there for water and the people murmured against Moses and said, why is it that you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses said, I really don't like any of you. I'm leaving. Now that ain't what it says. I'm sure that's probably what he felt like doing. You know, isn't that the way it is sometimes? We, we go through things and we just go, God, I'm out of here. I've had enough. This has not been fun ride. Moses cried out to the Lord. He took his problem to God. And if that's one thing you'll get from today's message, when you have a problem, take it to God. I can't fix it. You can't fix it. Our friends can't fix it. It doesn't mean our friends don't love us, that our spouses don't love us. 
But it's that sometimes life is bigger than they are. Bigger than we are. And we have to go to God. You're out of water. What is the lack maybe you have in your life today? Think about it for a minute. Is it lack for friends? Is it a lack for a spouse? Is, is it a lack for, for time? What, what might be your lack today? And I really believe that, again, wisdom would tell us in the Bible, in Christ, take our problems to the Lord and leave them there. So important. Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go before the people, take some of your elders of Israel, take in your hand your rod which you use and struck the river and go. It's interesting that God directed him to pick up something that once represented the power of God in his life. I think that's interesting. Why is that? Is it an idol? No, but I think it can be a remembrance of what God did for us. He said, take that very rod that you used to touch the water. The water's parted. You walk through on dry ground. You take that with you in your hand. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. Water may come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. It's noteworthy here. He did what God told him to do, and God honored it. By the way, God honors obedience. In fact, the Bible says to obey is greater than to sacrifice. Well, God, look what I've abstained from. Look what. No, to obey is greater than sacrifice. He did what God said. He used the rod that parted the water. He hit the rock, and water comes out. Wow. One place, he used the water, he used the rod to make the water go away. This place, he used the rod to bring water to them. It's funny how God works. God has always ways of doing things that we don't understand. So he called the name of the place Mizrah or Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that rock was Christ. The law is what smote Christ. Christ is the rock. The law smote Christ, but out of that came rivers of living water. We need that. We need that. And you know, the Bible tells us water is what brings life. That's what you need in your life. You know, today, if you're dry, your heart's dried out and looking like an old chunk of leather in a 57 Chevy that's set out in the sun for 35 years. That's what your heart feels like. Water, oil is what you need. And the Bible talks about rubbing in the water, the oil into your life to make it soft and supple again. Once again, you can begin to be flexible and see what God is doing. Now he says here, he smote the rock. You see, that rock is Christ. He only needed to be smoted, smote once, crucified for us once. Now we remember the children of Israel, we'll get into this up a few more chapters. They run out of water again in the wilderness. God said, speak to the rock, Moses, water will come out. And instead, Moses became angry. He hit the rock the second time. Water came out, but as Moses is walking away, God goes, Moses, come here. 
what? I told you to speak to the rock. And instead you smote the rock. And because you did that, you're not going to go into the promised land. Pretty severe for not doing what God said to do. That's why, because now when we need water from Christ, we don't need to continue to re-crucify him over and over again. We simply speak to Christ and God gives us what we need. God is that supplier of everything we need. And without water in your life, without that belly of river of living water that comes out of you. By the way, not only does it nourish you, but it nourishes those around you. Isn't that great to know that you can be a source of refreshing for a lost, dried up, dying world? You see, here's what's so amazing. The children of Israel saw the cloud of fire, the cloud, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud of smoke by day. And in the middle of all their blessing, they failed to see God. Isn't that happened to us sometimes? Where we're all, we're, we're, we're surrounded with God's blessing. We, we have so many things that we need to be thankful for, but instead we can find something to complain about. I know I'm this way. And so I have to be reminded and I have to take inventory of my life of God's blessing. And that's why the Bible says how important it is to have a heart of thanksgiving. This is why David in the Psalms always goes back and reminds us to be thankful. What kept the children of Israel from going into the promised land for 40 years was being unthankful because, again, they didn't count what God was doing to them. Now, we look at this and we realize that oftentimes we don't see the blessing of God in our life. I think people of the world see oftentimes the blessing of God in your life and they are extremely jealous of you. Why aren't you spazzed out like all of us are over the same exact news broadcast or the same exact event that's happening where we have a different source for our support? Same problem, but a different solution to that problem. Verse 8 This is an interesting and first literal battle the children of Israel fought on their way to the promised land. It was brought on by a fellow named Amalek. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, again, this is a grandson of Esau. Esau is a type of the flesh, and so is uh, Amalek type of the flesh. In fact, as we get down to the very bottom of this chapter, you're going to find something out amazing. And it says that God was going to contend with Amalek for generations. And that's kind of the way it is with us. Amalek is a type of the flesh and we have to battle with it. And if we don't battle with it, it'll have long-term repercussions. There's a lot of enemies of Israel all the way through the Bible that were descendants of Amalek. We think about some of them. One of them was where, remember, God spoke to Saul and said, go utterly wipe out the Amalekites. Samuel told him, this is what you're to do. And we remember Saul left, he comes back, and um, the command was to wipe out everything. 
He comes back, says, Samuel, I did what God told me to do. And Samuel said, well, what's this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? And find out that he brought Amalek, the king of the Amalekites, back alive. And he goes, you didn't do anything you were supposed to do. And in fact, by the way, God rejected him from being king over this. Later on, we read about, we read about um, Mordecai. And uh, the whole um, book of Esther. And how, how Haman was, guess what? An Amalekite, sworn enemy of Israel. And yet, what's really weird, they were cousins. You don't think you have a dysfunctional family sometimes? Well, here's a good illustration where these are actually cousins of each other, hating one another. So Moses said to Joshua, choose some men, go out, fight with with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, fought with, with Amalek and Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. So, so uh, Amalek is down on the bottom, fighting with Joshua, Moses, Aaron, and uh, her go up on the top of the hill. And as long as Moses had his hands up in the air with his rod, Joshua would win. But when he'd get tired and lowers his arm down, all of a sudden he saw the battle shift and Amalek began to win against the children of Israel. And so Aaron would get on one side and hold one arm up. Hur would get on the other side and lift his arm up. Now, Joshua, we know who that is. In fact, Joshua is the one that replaced down below Joshua fighting the battle. Aaron, his brother, holding up one arm. Her holding the other. Now, what's really weird, we know who Aaron is, but we don't know who her is. Now, some people say, is her a she? No, her's a he. But here's what's weird. Sometimes God uses people you know, and sometimes God uses people you don't know. According to some Hebrew tradition, uh, her could have been Miriam's husband. Joshua's, or excuse me, Moses' sister's husband. But we don't know that for sure. So at this point, based upon the word of God, we have to just simply say, her's an unknown person. But God does that sometimes. God will use people you know to support you and help you. And sometimes it'll be people that actually no one else knows that will help you do what God wants you to do. And so it was, Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when Lenny let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put under them, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and the people and the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, 
write this for memorial in a book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalekite from the under heaven. And Moses built an altar called the name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalekite for generations and generations. A lot of interesting things here. You look at this. God was really angry at uh, Amalekite because of what he did. Why is that? Well, first, he was the first nation to attack Israel. Very possibly because of Esau knowing the promises of God that would be to Jacob, that could have been passed down in, in, in uh, Esau's generation saying, one of these days, Israel's going to come back into the land. It is theirs by promise. And so Amalek being scared brought on the attack. Second thing we find is because of the area they're in, they're out of their way. They went out of their way to attack Israel. And the third, it says it was against God. Now, why would that be? Remember, Amalekite saw the pillar of fire, saw the cloud of smoke. He saw that. Just as the Egyptians saw all the hands of uh, miracles of God protecting the children of Israel, yet chose to attack them anyway, Amalekite, seeing these things, chose to attack Israel. Now, sometimes it's interesting how God answers our prayers. I pray sometimes and I say, God, I need you to do this. And I got it all figured out how God's going to do it. Well, first of all, then God's going to do this, and then he's going to do this, and then he's going to do this, and then he's going to do this. And God comes along and you can't believe it, friends. He completely disregards my plan of attack. Why does he do that? I can interpret that saying, well, God, you didn't interpret my prayer because you didn't do it my way. What's the deal? Do you know what it is? Because when God answers prayer, he does things in such a broader scope than we know. When God arranges an issue in our life that requires the extreme focus of God's attention in our life. It is for a reason. We always think that it's about me, but it isn't. God sometimes arranges this to demonstrate his powers to others around us. Theoretically, we should know the power of God, but God does this. So people see the hand of God in your life. I'm looking for a quick fix. God's saying, I'm looking for a demonstration to prove to the world that I'm God. And he uses you and me, his children, as a vessel, as a, as a conduit that he flows through to express that. If it wasn't for you, people wouldn't see the hand of God at all. In your family, in your home, in your school, in your business. People see that. Do you realize that I've seen this so many times in my life? That God will preserve a business just because you're there as a Christian. You leave that business, it falls on its face. Why is that? 
Because God was showing not only you, as miserable as it might have been to be there, but when you left, it showed the boss, the other employees, hey, it's funny that when he left, our company crashed. Why is that? It's because God's anointing is in you. Do you realize where you go? Jesus said it like this, that the kingdom of heaven comes within you. A lot of people have twisted that. The cults have twisted that. But basically what Jesus is saying, where you go, a piece of heaven goes with you. He doesn't mean that this is all there is, uh, where, you know, the kingdom of God comes within you and there's no heaven in the sweet by and by or anything like that. No, no, they, they disregard the other verses about eternity. But he means that where you go, you bring an element of God. Now, that's going to be sweet as perfume to some, and it's going to be rottenness to others, pending on the posturing of their heart. And you got to remember that. That's why some people will look at you and say, tell me more. And others will look at you and say, go away. Why is that? Because one, the softening of the heart, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in one individual. On the other hand, it can cause a hardening of the heart, rejection of God in the other. So what God does then, as he brings us about, as he uses us in this world, as he arranges the circumstances in our life that require a divine hand of God to intervene, it's to show not only us who he is, but it shows others around us who he is. I like to call it staying cool in the fire. You ever been in fire lately? You ever had the trials that come on you and you don't know what you're going to do next? Staying cool in the fire. Where is the coolness at? It's where Christ is at. But let me tell you something. The world sees God in you and it drives them crazy. Oh, it does. How is it that you can have peace in situations that would kill anybody else? Staying cool in the fire. They see the anointing of God in you. Now, they may not always know it's God, but they know there's something different about you. You talk to people that, especially uh, if you've got brothers and sisters, moms and dads, and you get saved, you're the only one saved in your home. Well, if you listen to them talk to the other uh, members of the family, oh, they got religion or something, and now they're always smiling. I don't know what's wrong with them. Why don't you just smoke dope like all the others? I actually had people tell me that's what their parents said. Well, why is that? Because they recognize something different about you. They may not always know what it is, but they see something different. I believe Amalekite saw the pillar of fire, the cloud of smoke, and said, I'm going to attack him anyway. Pharaoh's army saw the pillar of fire, saw the cloud of smoke, and said, I'm going to attack them anyway. And it cost them. They lost. The Amalekite, yep, he lost too. The thing you got to remember is that people see the anointing of God in your life, but they don't always know what it is. I believe that's where, as we share our faith, we explain what that is. 
Do you know, usually when God is working with somebody, you don't have to tell them that God exists because God's already been working in their life. All we are the ones handing out the invitation or the explanation of what they're seeing. God may be worked with that person for maybe 15 years and just waiting for you to come along and say, hey, you know what you need? You need Christ. Yeah, that's what I need. Because it all of a sudden connects. They then understand what the pillar of fire is or what the cloud of smoke is or the anointing of God in your life is. And they go, oh, I get it. You see, that's what's really cool about the way God works. He doesn't have cookie cutter Christians and he does it different and differently in every one of our lives. I think that's why we have such a variety of the power of God in the entirety of the Bible. How God used Moses, worked with Moses. How God used Elijah, worked with Elijah. And you'll find something. There's a similarity, but a complete difference in the way God deals with different ones of us. You look at the disciples of Jesus, for instance. Talk about a group of people with different personalities, different backgrounds. Matthew Levi, a tax collector, hated in general by the Jewish people. And you had James and John, sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee, that actually were revolutionaries against the Roman government. I imagine talks around the campfire were really different. Yeah, well, you're a traitor. You're a tax collector. Well, you're a revolutionary. You are, and I can imagine some of the things that I can just see Jesus going, ay, 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 ay. But we find that God changed them enough that those things of who they were didn't matter in what he was going to do in their life. Friends, that's so important. And see, people see that. And I believe that, as it says in the New Testament, as you get into the book of Acts, they said they knew they were unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus and changed all that. You see, that's neat. You become more like what you hang around with. If you hang around with a bunch of derelicts, you pick bad friends, don't be surprised, friends, if you end up going the wrong way. The Bible says, Proverbs warns us about the company that we keep, the friends that we keep. Now, I'm not saying we withdraw from the world, because surely if we did, the world would never know who Christ is. But when it comes to friendship, interpersonal relationships, I don't have anything to do with people of the world. You want to have that in Christ. To reach out to people, yes, we want to reach out to the world. We we need to let our light shine. What good is it shine if it's under a bed or under a basket? It isn't going to do anything. But it's when we go for fellowship, we go to be built up, where we go where others recognize the anointing of God, the pillar of fire, the cloud of smoke in your life. That's what's important. Now again, some will say, wow, big cloud of fire above your head. That's not something you see every day. What is that? Others will look at that and disdain it. Now, it's interesting, friends. Think about this for a minute, for some of you that are Bible students. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, what appeared above the disciples' head? 
cloven tongues of fire above their head. Isn't it amazing that the pillar of fire that was above the disciples' head and the anointing of God in the Old Testament on the children of Israel was that of fire, that which was different, that which people could recognize. In fact, the Bible says that it was recognizable not by necessarily believers, but by everyone that came into the rush, the sound of the rushing mighty wind that attracted them. And they come in and saw those followers of Jesus all being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues and fire above their head. Wow, that's pretty amazing. They saw the anointing of God and you have that anointing of God. Remember that. Where you go, you make a difference. And a little piece of heaven goes where you go. Oh man, that's why the Bible says we're ambassadors. We we represent the kingdom of God. And oh God, forgive me, forgive all of us, Lord, when we have let you down and not represented you. Maybe I lost my cool and I cussed or I I, I said something I shouldn't have said or misrepresented you. God, forgive me. But God, see, wants us to represent him in a world that doesn't know him. To bring forth whatever need that is in my life that will affect their life. Again, remember, God's been working on them to manifest who he is to them through you. Wow. Now all of a sudden that changes something from my personal Christian experience when I accepted Christ to now Christians on parade. That's what you are. We're not saved to set. We're not saved to be silent. We're noisy little sunbeams. The Bible says we're the light of the world, salt of the earth. Well, I need to be salty. I need to be a light. What does that mean? Well, one thing that light does, exposes. And do you know I believe that uh, when you go where you go, I believe that exposure causes you to see things that normally would have been in the dark. We always think the light is for them to see, but I believe sometimes the light is for us to see the need in their life. See, the problem is oftentimes in our Christian experience, we become self-focused. This is one of the great problems I have with the positive confession movement. If you don't know what that is, I blab what I want. I just use faith words. I get my new refrigerator. I get uh, whatever I want. I just use faith words. I visualize that it's mine. The problem with that belief system in Christianity, it's centrally focused rather than Christ focused. There's a problem. Because it's when we look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, that is what makes the difference. See, and the thing is, if I'm going to truly be salt and light, that means that as we go places, you're going to expose things, not for them so much, for you to see what the need is in their life. That's why you take a flashlight into your garage at night when you forgot to get something out of your garage. The flashlight, the the wrench goes, you you know, you're going in there with your flashlight, and the wrench goes, I'm over here, I'm over here. No, it doesn't happen that way. The light is for you to find what what you've lost. And as you as light, we go into a world, we're going to be exposed to people who are lost. And that light, that wisdom, that heart that is in God, helps us see what their need is. And you know, sometimes being a servant 
requires to say, what do you need in your life? What's the matter, honey? And I believe that really, saints, we're going to need to rely more and more and more on the Holy Spirit in these days that we're getting into because they're getting darker and darker and darker. Have you noticed that? Being about your daddy's business, so important. You see, Amalek attacked Israel, failed to interpret the data at hand, and God says, you attacked me. Notice it says, verse 16, because the Lord sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek. Isn't that weird? Not the children of Israel. God was angry at him. You see, you're God's representatives. You're the light of the world. As you go, let the Lord use you to illuminate those darkened corners. There's a lot of hurting people right now, friends. They're scared. Everybody knows the American news media is lying to us. They don't know where to go for truth. But God's word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John fourteen six. So we know what truth is. Do you realize today they did a survey? I think it was 93% of the people surveyed said, bing, bing, bing. There is no absolute truth. How sad. That's called relativism. That's what's inundated our colleges. That's a paradigm shift from 70 years ago where there was absolutes. Now, bad isn't all that bad. Good isn't all that good. It's just really how you look at it. And you wonder why we're in the world we're in? When the Bible absolutely declares that there is absolutes? So if you know what God's word says, you're going to know truth. If you don't know what God's word says, you're going to believe the lies of the world. And that's the bottom line. So this morning, you're blessed if you're a child of God. Where you go, you bring that element of the light of Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, you're in darkness. Followers to it. You're living life your own way. You're not asking God, why did you put me on this earth? I want to do what you want me to do. I repent of that stupid way I've lived. And God says, now I'm going to make you a child of mine. And from this day on, I'm going to take care of you. That's what being a Christian is. Friends, that's what being a real Christian, and if you've been backslidden and you believe the lies of the world, I would just invite you to once again be that light that Jesus wants you to be in a lost and dying world. You see, the world sees the hand of God, but they can't decipher what it is. They see the fire, they see the smoke, but they don't know what it is. But you do. So be light, be salt. If you're not a Christian, you can change your course of your life here today, listening and accepting what Christ has done for you. We're going to pray. And if you want to get right with God, you pray this from your heart. God will do exactly as you ask him to do in Jesus' name. So if you need to get right with God, let's pray right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I'm sorry I have lived without you. I repent of my foolish ways. 
So from this day forward, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And now you live in me eternally as you rose from the dead. And so now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be about your business. Write my name in your book of life so I can spend eternity with you. And thank you, God, for all the things that you're going to do in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, welcome to God's family. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. We'll have a baptism. Be in fellowship. You're going to grow in the Lord. That's what's important. And you're going to shine. And you want to be careful of your friends. Be careful of bad company. Because it'll take your heart away from God. Solomon warns this in the book of Proverbs. It isn't that the good rubs off on the bad. It's the bad rubs off on the good. Be careful of the company you keep. That's for all of us. Whether you've been a Christian a day, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years, be careful of the company you keep. There's nothing wrong with that. You just need eternal friends being about your daddy's business. If you don't have a Bible, like I say, I'll give you one. We've got some DVDs and a couple little booklets that answer a lot of questions about your new Christian life. But letting God be God in your life is so important. For the rest of you, let your light shine. Again, you're going to bring life to those who are without. You're going to be about your father's business and realizing that this war with the flesh someday will be over, but this side of heaven, we just have to prepare for it. Let God bless you. Let God heal you. Let God restore you.